Chapter 7 of An American in the Making, The Life Story of an Immigrant by Marcus Eli Ravage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The Immigrants' America As I look back over my transition from the alien to the American state, I cannot help wondering at the incredible changes of it. I see a curious row of figures, as in a haze, struggling to some uncertain goal, and with a shock it comes upon me that I am all this motley crew. There is the awkward, unkept, timid youth of sixteen, with the inevitable bundles, dumbly inquiring his way from the battery to the slums. A little further on, shivering in the december drizzle with a tray in his gloveless hand the vendor of unsellable candies dreams of christmas far away by his roumanian fireside a tap boy in an east side barroom follows next his hair parted in the middle his gift breeches fitting a little snugly on his well-groomed young carcass he hums to himself over his tub of glassware then the sewing machine operative, now in his sweatshop assiduously at work, now at his anarchist meetings scheming to reform the world, and then the student in school and college, with his new struggles and problems piled high over the old, old worries about bread and bed. And then, and then the picture gets too near for a good perspective, and anyhow the tale is all but told the alien is become the self-made american what a fortunate thing it was for me that i got to new york just before christmas fortunate that is as immigrants luck goes if i had got here after christmas i would without a doubt have starved as well as frozen you know of course why i froze because i did not obey my mother which is simply saying that it served me right mother it will be remembered had insisted that i take with me the old overcoat which she had herself recreated out of a garment once worn by my well-to-do uncle pincus and i had refused because to begin with I already had too much to lug, and because I could see no sense in carrying old clothes to a country where I would at once become rich enough to buy new ones. That I did not starve, in spite of my landing with the proverbial fifteen cents in my pocket, was due not only to the fact that I tumbled right into the midst of the prosperity of the Christmas shopping season, but to a further piece of good fortune what i would have done if little cousin betty had not had the foresight to bring over her folks is more than i can tell to be sure the family had arrived only about three months before but three months is a long time in the evolution of americans and so there they were the whole seven of them, mother and son and five daughters, on the tunefully named Rivington Street, 
already keeping house and talking english and the oldest young lady receiving callers and betty her next of age declaring that she would not go without pisnez glasses when all the fashionables including her own sister possessed and wore them betty and her modish sister being old enough to work did consequently work at men's neckties while the remaining four children went to school or kindergarten or danced on the street to the music of the grind organ or stayed home to be rocked in the cradle according to their varying tastes and years yes there they were quite americanized happy in their five rooms three of which faced on allen street and joined their window sills right on to the beams of the elevated trestle they were still happy because neckwear was a genteel trade that could be worked at in the home until any hour of the night with the whole family lending a hand and because cousin jacob the father and tyrant of the household had been left in rumania to settle affairs because the business of cooking with gas and turning a faucet when you wanted water was an exciting novelty and because keeping rumors was a romantic undertaking they lived on the third floor which was something to be proud of since back home in vaslui none but the rich could afford to live upstairs and of course upstairs in vaslui was only a beggarly second floor i never contrived to find out just how many people did share those five rooms during the day my relative kept up the interesting fiction of an apartment with specialized divisions here was the parlor with its sofa and mirror and american rocking chairs then came the dining room with another sofa called a lounge a round table and innumerable chairs then the kitchen with its luxurious fittings in porcelain and metal then the young lady's room in which there was a bureau covered with quantities of odiferous bottles and powder boxes and other mysteries and last of all mrs siegel's and the children's room i remember how overwhelmed i was with this impressive luxury when i arrived but between nine and ten o'clock in the evening this imposing structure suddenly crumbled away in the most amazing fashion the apartment suddenly became a camp the sofas opened up and revealed their true character the bureau lengthened out shamelessly careless of its daylight pretensions even the wash-tubs it turned out were a miserable sham the carved dining-room chairs arranged themselves into two rows that faced each other like dancers in a cotillion so that i began to ask myself whether there was after all anything in that whole surprising apartment but beds the two young ladies room was not i learned a young ladies room at all it was a female dormitory the sofa in the parlor alone held four sleepers of whom i was one we were ranged broadside 
with the rocking chairs at the foot to ensure the proper length and the floor was by no means exempt i counted no fewer than nine male inmates in that parlor alone one night mrs siegel with one baby slept on the wash tubs while the rest of the youngsters held the kitchen floor the pretended children's room was occupied by a man and his family of four whom he had recently brought over although he with ambitions for a camp of his own did not remain long getting in late after the others had retired was an enterprise requiring all a man's courage and circumspection for it involved the rousing of an alarmed overworked grumbling landlady to unbolt the door the exchange in stage whispers of a complicated system of challenges and passwords through the keyhole the squeezing through cracks in intermediate doors which were rendered stationary by the presence of beds on both sides much cautious high stepping over a vast field of sprawling unconscious bodies and lastly the gentle but firm compressing and condensing of one's relaxed bedmates in order to make room for oneself it was on one such occasion as these also that one first became aware of how heavy the air was with the reek of food and strong breath and fermenting perspiration the windows being of course hermetically sealed with putty and a species of padding imported from home which was tacked around all real and imaginary cracks in the morning one was awakened by the puffing of steam engines and the clatter of wheels outside the windows and then the turmoil of american existence began in real earnest first the furniture must be reconstructed and restored to its decorative character and then the scattered disorder of feather bedding must be cleared from the floors and whisked away into cupboards and trunks the men-folks had to fly into their clothes before the ladies emerged from their quarters so that the latter might pass through the parlor on their way to the kitchen in spite of all the precautions taken the night before someone invariably missed one portion or another of his costume which he promptly proceeded to search for with a great deal of wailing and complaining against his own fate in particular and the intolerable anarchy of columbus's country in general then followed a furious scramble for the sink because the towel had a way of getting unmanageably wet toward the end and this made it necessary for mrs siegel who slept in the kitchen to be up before everyone else by the time the camp had once more become an elegant apartment the coffee was already steaming on the round table in the dining-room and the whole colony sat down to partake of it before scattering to its various labors breakfast and laundry being of course included in the rent the first two days mrs siegel would not hear of my going out to look for work she insisted that i must rest up from the journey look around a bit and in general play the guest a guest is a guest even in america she said and don't worry you'll have time enough to make the money 
after which she smiled in a peculiar manner. So I stayed home alone with her, and feeling that I owed her something in return for her hospitality, I tried to make myself useful to her by helping with the housework. The army of rumors had no sooner dispersed than she packed the youngsters off and threw herself into the task with enthusiasm. Housekeeping, she said, is wonderfully easy in America. I had to agree that it was wonderful, but I myself at least could hardly say that I found it easy. It certainly was an extravagant way of doing things. The first thing we were going to do, she told me, was to scrub the kitchen. Very well, I said. Where do you keep the sand? Sand, she exclaimed. This is not Vosloui, and proceeded to take the neatly printed wrapper off a cake of soap, which back home would have been thought too good to wash clothes with. For the floor she employed a pretty white powder out of a metal can and a brush with which I had the night before cleaned my clothes. Moreover, she kept the light burning all the time we were in the kitchen, which was criminal wastefulness, even if the room was a bit dark. She herself would certainly not have done such a thing at home. About ten o'clock she started off to market. If she had not told me where she was going, and if it had not been a weekday, I would have believed she was on her way to Temple. There she stood in her taffeta gown. It was the very one mother had once told me had come from her wedding, and all the jewelry I used to see on her at the services in Vaslui, and a pair of brand new patent leather pumps. As soon as she was out of the house, I took the opportunity to blow out the gas in the kitchen, only, however, to be scolded for my pains when she re-entered, and to be informed that greenhorns must keep their eyes open and their hands off. I could see nothing wrong in what I had done, but she kept saying over and over again that I had narrowly escaped death or blowing up the building. The things she brought back from the market, eggplant in midwinter, and tomatoes, and a yellow fruit which had the shape of a cucumber and the taste of a muskmelon. I had never seen such huge eggplants in all my life. And here was another thing which was entirely strange, but which inquiry revealed was cauliflower, an article father had once eaten at the home of my cousin, the doctor in Bucharest, and had never ceased talking about. Could there be anything in it after all? I repeatedly asked myself during that day. Was I doing Cosa an injustice? Oh, if the Lord would only grant that I should turn out to have been mistaken. Yes, but how about the borders? If the seagulls had actually made their million in these three months, why? did they share their fine apartment with strangers? Who but the very lowest of people kept rumors in Vaslui? I could not figure it out. America was surely a land of contradictions. 
Mrs. Siegel and I had meat in the middle of the day. And then, about six, when the two girls got home, there was meat again. I remember writing home about it the next day, and telling the folks that they might think I was exaggerating, but that it was literally true all the same that in New York every night was Friday night, and every day was Saturday, as far as food went, anyway. Why, they even had twists instead of plain rye bread, to say nothing of rice and raisins, which is properly a purim dish, and liver paste, and black radish. And then about eight in the evening two young gentlemen called on Cousin Rose and capped the climax of the whole day by insisting on bringing in some beer in a pitcher from the corner saloon. There I was. I could say all I wanted about America being a sham, but no one would believe a word of it until I could prove that Siegel's and Abner's and Schneer's indulged in such luxuries as beer at home, a thing which no one could prove, because it was not so. End of chapter 7